Coming up on this episode of the Unusual Podcast. Designing for failure. A better broken traffic light. Hotel room nightmare. Well, it's not much of a nightmare, though, is it? I'm trying to build excitement. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Unusual Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us. And we talk about great design that just works or moan about it when it doesn't. Hello, Andrew. Hi. Everything all right? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Should we get straight into it? Go on then, introduce yourself. Okay, I am Andrew Waite and I am a product owner of a SaaS product in Derby. I'm David Ball. I'm a front-end web and app developer. What are we talking about today? Okay, can I show you a tweet that I yes. saw that kind of made me think about what I wanted to talk about? Okay. So this is by Doug Collins. It's a picture of a door. Someone's locking a door with okay. a key, an outside door, right underneath there's a grate that sort of goes that's definitely not great that's definitely not great no so it's like a grate that sort of falls into the sewers or I don't know where like a drain like a drain drain is what I mean yeah yeah and so this picture makes me nervous because you lock in your door there's a good chance that when you've got your keys you could drop it yes I do it all the time I fumble with my keys trying to get them in the lock yeah and they just crash onto the floor anyway the grate underneath bad idea bad Bad, idea bad design so the title of the tweet is a simple error should never result in catastrophic consequences okay so I thought we could talk about how we could sort of design in apps and websites and software and things like that for failure because failure is always going to be inevitable sort of but a simple failure or a simple error should never result in a catastrophic consequence yeah well this that's interesting to me I have a software development background and in software development it's good practice to think about the failure states and if you go to any conferences talk read any books a lot of them talk about designing for failure um, yeah. Netflix did something quite interesting in this space have you ever heard of the chaos Chaos Monkey. The Chaos Monkey. I've heard of it, but I don't really know much about it. So Netflix runs their service, or it used to, this may be slightly outdated knowledge, but it's quite a famous story. They run their infrastructure on Amazon AWS instances, so they have a pool of servers running their system, okay? Mm -hmm. And they designed this app called the Chaos Monkey, and what that does is randomly, in production, it will go to some of their parts of their infrastructure and turn off a server, or turn off some networking component. It randomly causes chaos in their system, okay? So you mean it's it's deliberately breaking it. It's deliberately breaking it, okay. And what the design around that is that the engineers have to have made the system from the outset able to cope with that with zero downtime okay. so that when a real failure occurs, they're ready. Yeah. So they have this thing called the Chaos Monkey and I think think I could be wrong but I think it's open source and if you run Amazon instances and things like that you can actually run this piece of software they've written and it'll cause chaos in your system and you can design similarly for failure but I I find this an interesting parallel because I was trying to look for something similar in the sort of user interface design world do do people think about the failure states of their user interfaces when they're designing them and I'm not sure they always do and I I struggle to find out on the web about about failure states maybe you're about to tell me that there's loads but if you think about it any website, if you go to a broken link, you might go to what we call the 404 page, mm-hmm. page not found. Mm-hmm. That's a failure state. Exactly, yeah. So you're looking for a page that doesn't exist anymore. And, well, most websites will show you a page that says it doesn't exist anymore. Yes. So that is, I mean, we, we do that. We don't like redirect people to the homepage or to some other content unless it's relevant because you want to say to the user, this doesn't exist anymore. If you were to do anything else, it would be really confusing, possibly. This, this That is perfectly right that is designing for failure in a, in a user interface context isn't it yeah. that's designing for the 
for when everything goes wrong. But I think that it's important that that page does explain clearly what's going on and gives the visitor alternatives. The best ones, you know, suggest what they might have been looking for. Yeah. I think because website owners or website developers can set their own 404 page, the quality of those experiences is definitely variable. Yeah. But it's and better it's, than uh, there used to be the case that if you don't set your own, then you'll just get a default browser page that says there's nothing here. Yeah. And the problem with that is it looks like the website could be broken. Your internet could be off. You don't know what the problem is. Whereas at least by having the custom 404 page But, but, o- but also as, as the website owner, you can't lead them somewhere else, right? True. Like if you have your own 404 page, you can still put the main nav on that page and you can still suggest something else or you can, you know, you can still have your branding on that page as well so you can keep the experience consistent. Whereas if yeah. you let the browser hand- handle it, it's a dead end. True. And it's an unbranded dead end. And by 404 page, I kind of also mean that say you're going through a checkout process, say you're buying a flight or buying anything and you've got a three-step checkout process. By the third step, something might have gone wrong. You don't know what's happened. There's an error. That's the same sort of thing, isn't it? You should The, the website should show you an error of exactly what's gone wrong so that the user doesn't go, oh, is the website offline? Is my internet offline? Did the payment not go through? Did, uh, did I input something wrong? Did I not type the right thing into a form? So that's the same sort of thing as what I'm talking about, a, a screen that tells you that an error has happened and explains sure. why. No, I think that, I think there's lots of examples in user interfaces where failure can happen. Yep. And I think that it often gets overlooked. Uh, the, the principle behind what I was talking about in software, sorry, the, the best practice in, in software is to think about all those failure modes and architect for them and design for them. Mm-hmm. And the Chaos Monkey literally inflicts the, the failure modes on you so you can check that that actually works. But I'm not necessarily so sure that in the UX design world that quite often it's a skill of a good UX designer that they'll understand what failure modes might be and design around them but it just it doesn't seem as formalized but in the world of UX that's about people isn't it that's about making sure that people who are using your thing your app your website your software understand what's going on at all time and if anything it's not, it's not just that though it's not just about error messages because failure can also be for example thinking about people that have an accessibility issue for example and might hit the wrong button by accident you know it's it's thinking about all the failure states of the app whether that's down to the technology or down to the design itself that's still a failure mode i think Okay, think about it when software goes wrong. Do you remember that Twitter used to have the fail whale? Mm. They don't have this anymore, at least I've not seen it, or maybe it hasn't had a catastrophic failure recently. But sometimes it got too overloaded or something with the server went wrong and it would show you a picture of a whale. Yes. And some birds, can't quite remember to be honest. But that was sort of a, their way of saying, we've messed up, something's gone wrong, it's not your fault, user who've, who's using Twitter. We're kind of sorry and probably fixing it. Here's a picture of a whale instead, as if that makes it all better. What I'd probably prefer is it to not go wrong in the first place. Of course. But that was just something that they had. Instead of thinking about resilience, they were presenting you with this with this picture. So maybe that's a bad example of a failure state because you, no, you're not really that... being shown no, what the problem is. But I think my point is that we, we really have to think about these states and that shows that Twitter had thought in advance about what happens when our system goes down and they'd got a... Dis- I mean, okay, we can critique that design and say maybe it wasn't the best thing at the 
the time, but at least they had something there. And at least, I suppose, if you see that, you know, you're like, oh, of course, it's Twitter's fault. It's not my fault. It's not something that I've just done. One of the failure states, which I think is quite nice, actually, is, you know, the Chrome error page that you get now with the game, the dinosaur. Oh, Chrome browser. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but that happens if you've got no internet. That's not a 404 page. That's if you've got no internet, it'll show you a a little dinosaur game where you press the space. It shows that they have designed for that failure state. Yeah. That is still a failure state in Chrome that the Chrome designers have. That's true. Have designed for. So Mm -hmm. it can sort of keep you entertained while you've got no internet. Yeah. Because we need the internet, obviously, to entertain us. Yeah. On a related note, have you seen or heard much about some of the new technologies? I say new technologies, they've been around a year or two now, like service workers and things like that in the web. I've never used them. So I must admit, I haven't either, but I've seen a few interesting talks on them. But one of the things that you can do with these things is cache data offline. And then, you know, in when you, you we were saying about having no internet and it shows the dinosaur game. Yeah. Well, if it's cached on the user's computer, you can actually give them content. I saw an example by, I think it was Jake Archibald, the, one of the Chrome developers. Yeah. And what he'd done is built a chat app. Very, not a real chat app, just a sort of a mock-up of a chat app. Okay, using the latest in... Um, what are these called, by the way? Progressive web apps. Yeah, the oh, latest yeah, okay. in progressive web app technology. Yeah. And when it was connected to the internet, you could chat backwards and forwards between two clients. But it cached everything locally, and it cached the logic locally and the presentation locally. And so then he showed that when the internet was disconnected, you could still look at the last cached version of your chats. Oh, right. So even if you're pressing refresh, but you've got no internet, you can still see see the messages not the latest messages if someone sends another message obviously you're not connected to the internet so it's not going to come through but you'll see the last ones but you'll see the last version that you accessed and I think with the service worker that can run in the background in Chrome so for example if you had internet access even without that page being open it could have fetched newer messages yeah. and then you try and access it when you're offline and there'd actually be new content that's there since since the last time you looked at it so it's making a website more like an app on your phone so you might have the Facebook Messenger app or you might have the Twitter app yeah. and you're not necessarily connected to the internet but you can still see everything that yeah. you could when you were connected to the internet yeah because um, not downloaded any more tweets yet B- BBC News is similar okay, I quite yeah. like that because BBC News I have that set to update itself every few hours yeah. but that means that if I'm on a train without internet I can just look and I know it's got you know recent news on there I don't have to be connected to the internet at that time yeah that's good so it means that if we go to a website it's still going to show content rather than seeing the dinosaur game mm-hmm. it means that I guess it's giving the website builders and owners the chance to control another failure state because previously that was something outside their control if the visitor has no internet I've got another example of a failure state but quite a bad one Windows blue screen of death Yes. So if you do, if you have a catastrophic failure on Windows, I don't know if it still does it actually, but it will also give you this blue screen with loads of like codes, loads of code on. Mm-hmm. That, uh, it doesn't really make any sense to anyone. Yeah, Mac always did this a lot better. Whenever I've seen a Mac error page, they're usually, they don't, they're not super useful, but they at least don't look scary to a user. Yeah, the Mac error screen is a bit better because it, it has information written for the user, not just like loads of random code, but even still, it's a bit weird. So it'll say things like you need to restart your computer hold down the power button for several seconds but and then it has that in lots of different languages as well so obviously that's a kind of error message that gets shown to somebody and they don't even know what the language is it's just everything's gone wrong what so it doesn't even give you give it you in your own language well it gives you in lots of different languages look oh wow Right, you were about to tell me something absolutely fascinating all right well you just take your socks off because that's important (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've got do to get have, comfortable. Do you have to do this barefooted? 
Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, I think it's strange that you're not doing it barefoot. Uh, okay. So I went to a conference and there was a guy talking called Jeremy Keith. Mm-hmm. And he is sort of a guy who talks about things like resilience quite a lot in, in web in terms of like making sure that websites don't break. And one of the things that he says, some things break and you have to you have to just plan for it. So Murphy's Law, have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? Yes. Wasn't that a TV show? Don't know. But anyway, Murphy's Law, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. Which is, I've always kind of heard as a kind of a joke thing. But actually, if there's a possibility that something could go wrong, it probably at some point will. If you've got a website that's going to be loaded by millions and millions of users, even 1% chance is still... Why have I volunteered for this maths? Hang on. How many many people is that? Uh, That's quite a lot, isn't it? So it could go wrong for a certain number of people. So one of the things that could go wrong, anyway, forms. On a website, you are entering details into a form, pressing submit. If all goes well, you'll get to the next page, whatever that is. But sometimes there's things like you've not entered the details in correctly in the date format that that they want, or you might not have entered your email address correctly, something like that. So... So this is like validation errors. Yeah. I've got an article which is called How to Write a perfect error message. Do tell what is the perfect error message. <laughs> Step one, explain what the problem is. Obvious. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's entered in a phone number into an email address field, just tell them that. Mm-hmm. Two, show them how to fix it or what to do next. Obvious, really. But actually, I say that it's obvious, but it might not always be to somebody. You know, sometimes you get those forms where it has the placeholder text telling you what to put in the form. Mm. But once there's text in there, it, it doesn't have you. It disappears. So it doesn't show you what you need to type in there anymore. So it's quite easy if you say done like the autofill you know how chrome or certain extensions will autofill your details you've no idea what the form field is anymore yeah, yeah so that you happens might, to me a lot so you might just go oh yeah this looks about right but actually you've entered your date of birth into something another field for something else slight aside by the way on the google auto form filling form field filling thing yeah okay it's a form field filling thing yeah right, that. Okay. yes that it can actually be used to steal data that you don't realize you're submitting because if the form contains hidden fields right those can auto be auto filled without you realizing what google's stealing it no so google remembers the date details that you filled in in forms previously yeah you go to a website and it maybe only appears to have for you email addresses a field yeah and google goes oh i can auto fill that and you go go on then when you say google you mean google chrome by the way yeah yes Chrome says, I'll autofill that for you and you go, okay. But if there are hidden fields on that form, for example, with your address in, your phone number, other information that you may not want to share, but if they're hidden, Google may have autofilled them anyway. Oh. And and then when you press submit, it sends the information you didn't realise was being submitted. How do you guard against that? Don't use auto form field filling. Oh, I don't know. It's useful. Especially if you're on your phone, for example, mm-hmm. if you're on your mobile phone, autofilling saves you so much time and effort. It's quite time consuming to type everything out again on a, on a phone. Yes, but I'd probably rather type it out than submit details to someone I didn't trust. So I suppose just check who made the website and see if you see if they're dodgy. Don't submit forms on dodgy websites. That's what we've learned. <laughs> Other steps on this perfect error message. Don't just put generic error, Mm. which that's kind of obvious as well. The error message should be polite. Like, don't tell the user off for doing something wrong. They might just not know. They might have put in a comma instead of a full stop in the email address or something. Yeah. Use humour if it's appropriate. Is that a bit weird? No, I think that makes people feel a bit more at ease, doesn't it? If someone's feeling anxious about filling a form in. Yeah, you fill this form in wrong. Lol. (laughs) 
<laughs> I suppose that's why it says if it's appropriate. One of the things that is a bugbear for me is when you fill a form in and you press submit and you've done something wrong. Yeah. But it clears some of the information that you would have filled in. It's so annoying. Oh, that's the worst thing. So you spend time filling the form in and then press submit and then there's an error. Next page, you have to fill it all in again. Oh, yeah. that is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> You've got to think about the right place for error messages as well. Mm-hmm. So like near the form, not like way up at the top of the page or right yeah. down the bottom of the page or something like that. So if the page refreshes and hasn't actually submitted, I kind of want to be able to see the error next to the field that was the problem. Yeah, I think that's regardless of what, whether the page is refreshing or not. The error message should always just be adjacent, if possible, to the form field. So you know which one. Yeah, because sometimes, sometimes it's the case that the error is like way at the top. It says you've filled this field in wrong. Or it says something like a field is not filled incorrectly and then you've yeah. got to figure out which one it is and if that one's not highlighted how are you supposed to know which one's not right yeah or yeah. if it just says there are errors on this page you're like what you know give me a hint where one of my favorite ones that i think you might have run into in the past is when a programmer uses a sort of a built-in regular expression validation oh right okay but doesn't change the error message so do i, do I, I probably need to explain what regular expression is don't I think I here? that would okay. be helpful yeah okay so how do i explain regular expression i think the best way to explain would be like a phone number should be always numbers that's a sort of regular expression yeah so it's a way of writing a little piece of code that checks if the text entered by the user fits a sort of pattern like a phone number is always so many digits long and it's just numbers there's no letters in it yeah okay, and, so it, and an email address is some letters or numbers then an at and then some yes. more letters and numbers and then a dot com or dot whatever yes so i've seen it before where a developer will build a form using that regex validation so for example for a phone number yeah. they'll go i only want to accept phone numbers and I know phone numbers in the country this form is going to be used in are so many digits long and they write that and that's all fine so it won't let anyone submit the form if they put incorrect information in but the problem is they don't override the default error right and the default error is your input doesn't match these this bunch of ju- ju- to the user gibberish symbols which is the reg- regular expression oh so it, it's it actually showing the regular expression it, to the user yes showing the piece of code yes the piece that's of code not... would make no sense to anyone apart from a developer it's shown to the user it's like your your input doesn't match this regular expression. Okay, so I saw this recently and it was on a website. It was on the English Heritage website, which is like an organisation that looks after ca- old castles and houses. and like a the- charity, isn't it? It's or a, a charity, yeah. And their website, if you didn't type in the right sort of password that they expected, you know, it has to it has to match a certain format with a capital letter and stuff like that. And so if you didn't get that correct, it would say the field password must be between 6 and 15 characters and contain at least one capital letter and one number must match the regular expression <laughs> I'm not going to read all this out but it's like a long string of symbols that any normal user like I work in the web I know what this means sort of although I'd probably have struggle figuring out what the regular expression really means nobody's going to look at that and go oh of course I know how to make a password that fits that regular expression with all those sort of codes and symbols imagine if that's all we had imagine if, if the- <laughs> It said, you know, they literally just gave you that from the outset and said, there you go, human, <laughs> make your input match this format. I just feel like Alan Turing sort of setting up the code breaking machine. What's <laughs> to try and work it out? <laughs> last one on the error message is to choose the right visual design for the error message. Mm-hmm. The obvious one's got to be red. So it's something that stands out and red kind of usually means danger, doesn't it? And it's quite eye-catching. So you know that that's the thing that you should be looking at and that's the that's the bad thing that, yeah. needs, that needs fixing. I have a real-world story about a failure state that hasn't been thought about 
thoroughly. Oh, okay. Traffic lights. Oh, right. Go on then. Okay. Oh, let me have a shuffle first. Right. Oh, that's better. Right. Okay. Good. Socks are off. Ready to tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> Putting the world to rights <laughs> with no socks on. So just recently, there have been a lot of temporary traffic lights in my area. And I don't know why that is. In your area? (laughs) In the area of the world that I live in. Oh, okay, fine. Not in my my immediate area. (laughs) I don't know. It's just the way you said it. And these traffic lights I've noticed tend to be wireless. Um, What I mean by that is that at each end of the roadworks, there will be a traffic light with sort of a battery or something. Mm -hmm. And they talk to each other wirelessly to let each other know. Because obviously they've got to coordinate. One needs to be on red while the other one's green. And there needs to be a bit of a delay between one going to red and the next one turning green. So So they're all networked up. So they all... yeah. communicate with each other somehow. Yeah. One day I came across this particular set of traffic lights and waited at them for a very long time before I realised that they had broken and were stuck. How do you know they're broken? Well, after you've been there for 10 minutes and they haven't changed, you you assume that they've broken and you have to sort of make your way through. Are you the first in the queue? Mm -hmm. Okay. I was the only one there and and yeah, I just decided these aren't going to change ever. They must be broken. And I went through and it was fine. And it turns out because I had to go back the other way shortly afterwards, they were broken and stuck on red totally for both they're both directions. stuck on red both stuck on red okay so That's so useless just blocking all the traffic well this got me to thinking about the the failure mode of these traffic lights okay uh, so okay. this isn't the first time that I've been in that situation these are completely unmanned was this like late at night or something it was early in the morning but they were unmanned there was nobody there yeah so it clearly shows that insufficient thought has been put into the failure state in my opinion I don't know I'm thinking that a lot of thought's gone into this they, they think that if they're going to fail they'll fail on red so that absolutely nobody can crash into each other they thought about safety first but all that happens is people end up sitting there for a long time wasting time yeah and then eventually realize what's going on with a lot of self-doubt and kind of slowly drive through wondering if they got it right or they got it wrong i suppose people could do that from both sides and end up crashing anyway potentially i think someone's always going to proceed with caution but you know i was thinking as well like maybe the people that made these traffic lights maybe they're just the default state is red unless they get a signal to say otherwise yeah I imagine but so. you could still build in some kind of timer that said oh well I haven't had a message for over six times the normal time so I assume I must be broken right yeah and what it could do in that state is I I agree you wouldn't want it to show green because that would make both sides go if they failed and then Definitely you will get people that. like hurtling towards each other yes I also don't think you'd want them to turn off entirely because that's another option which is kind of okay but that's just what a normal road would be like anyway without the traffic lights true I assume there's a reason there's like road works there like someone's dug a big hole yeah but I think if you were to turn them off then someone might for example have a legitimate case to say well there was no traffic light so I drew through as normal and then I had a big accident because the other side was the same and we met head on so I think that's a good idea however I think the solution to this is quite simple in my mind maybe someone will tweet us afterwards and tell me I'm wrong oh please do (laughs) but surely the best option here is to keep the red light on okay but if we've detected a failure just blink the amber okay okay? just something simple like that so that what that really says to people and I think it would take a while for people to get used to it because people would see it for the first time and go what's this This yeah strange but once people had got used to it I think it would be clear what that meant so it meant I have failed so red as in come to a stop and blinking amber sort of proceed with extreme caution because someone might be coming in the opposite direction yeah I think that is a much better solution than just 
going back to what you were saying earlier about what makes a good error message. Yeah. The first thing you have to do is tell people that something's gone wrong. Okay? Yeah. If you're just sticking on a red light, that is a normal state of the traffic light. So anyone looking at that for the first time goes, oh, it's on red. I will stop. This is a working traffic light. It takes time. You're not telling people straight away, even though the traffic light itself probably knows it's broken. You're not telling people. Yeah, true. So in that case, your idea, which I, I quite like actually, flashing anything, flashing any of the lights would indicate to people Oh, this this isn't normal. Yeah, or so you would flash, think... flashing alternate red and amber, for example, would be another option. Yeah, just flash them all like disco. <laughs> <laughs> At least people will know. Oh, these have gone bonkers. That this isn't right. <laughs> Can I tell you about something else that I found that's related to forms and form error messages? Mm-hmm. I saw a tweet by Jane Who. Who? Uh, <laughs> Jane who? I don't know how you pronounce it. Her last name is H-U, just two letters. Now that is the problem because this website that she's she's signing up to, it asks her for her first name and her last name. And so she's written her last name, H-U. And the error message says, last name should be at least three characters. And the tweet said, discrimination, frowny face. So, I, yeah, I but, but I think, again, that shows a, a lack of thinking about the failure states, doesn't it? Yeah, so her name legitimately only has two letters in it, and the person who's created that form hasn't thought about anyone with last names less than three characters. Short-sightedness. But at least the error message shows that quite clearly. A worse error message might say, this name is invalid. And she might be going, oh, what's invalid about it? Does it need another capital letter, or does it need to be... That's true. The error message message is good in that sense that it's saying what's wrong. Yeah, it's clear at least. Can we give a shout out to our new Twitter followers? Yes, please. Okay. Are you going to say hello to each one? Of course. All right. Okay. Let's start. Okay. So we've got Ali Springle, who we missed last time and she was disappointed that we hadn't mentioned her yet. Oh, hi, Ali. Okay. We've got Marie Glandus. Hello, Marie. Eddie Rich. Hello, Eddie. Mike Ryan. Hi, Mike. Daniel Bosniak. Hello, Daniel. Laura Musgrave. Hello, Laura. Holly Williford. Hi, Holly. Fatima Vassa. Hi, Fatima. Jamie Jenkins. Hi, Jamie. Christine Culthorne. Hi, Christine. There was a good one there. Jamie... Jamie Jenkins. Oh, that's, that's alliterative, isn't it? Jamie Jenkins. Sounds is... like a spy or something. He is a craft CMS superhero. Oh, okay. I met him at a craft meetup. Alicia Giovanni. Hi, Alicia. Yeah. Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Got no last name. Charles Southey. Hi, Charles. We're going to struggle with this one. Ilias Zaholdsbeer. Hi, Elias. Anna G. Hi, Anna. And Nida Ahmed. Hi, Nida. Zach showed me something that was interesting, and it's not really about failure, but it is sort of related. I'll tell you what it is first. So Facebook, this is from quite a few years ago, actually, but Facebook, their app has a certain kind of loading spinner. You know what I mean? So when when the an app is initially loading, mm-hmm. Facebook had this thing that had these vertical bars, and they were moving left to right. So it's not really a spinner, but it is showing that something is loading and working. And what they noticed, they did some A-B testing. This is kind of about a blame game, really. So people were complaining that their app was slow, apparently. But when they changed the spinner to the... So this is on iPhone. When they changed the spinner to an iPhone standard spinner, the one that looks like you would normally get on an iPhone, people stopped blaming Facebook for making their app slow. And actually they were blaming iPhone itself for being slow. Uh, that's interesting. This this actually is something that bugs me a lot, personally, when there are conventions, quite tight conventions on, on a platform, like mm-hmm. iOS or Android or Windows or whatever. 
whatever. Yeah. And apps don't conform to it. They go, no, we can do it better than that. We need to do our on-brand experience instead. So an on-brand spinner. Yeah. And I'm just like, just use the defaults on the system. Facebook's one of the worst for this, actually, because on Facebook Messenger on Android, that chat head thing. So Oh, the little things that you can see outside of the app itself. Oh, this is such a bugbear for me. Yeah. So Android has, and has from day one, as far as I'm aware, I had the first Android device, the T-Mobile G1, it was called. Okay. This is years ago. But one thing it's done from the start is had a swipe down area at the top. So you have the little icons at the top for your notifications. Yeah. You swipe down, you can get, read what they are as like cards and tapping them goes to the app. Okay. Yeah. This is a standard thing. Everything on Android does it. If you get an email, it goes there. Yeah. If you get a missed call, it goes there. If an app needs to tell you something, it goes there. Yeah. Okay. All the other messaging apps go in the standard notification. And it's a, it's just a paradigm that users get used to. If I think about my parents who have Android devices, yeah. they just know how to get to, you know, things that they need their attention basically okay except facebook messenger when you install it in its default state goes nah we're not going to do that (laughs) right when someone sends you a message it pops a circle over the top of the screen it's a circle of someone's face isn't it of their face their facebook picture and then you tap on it and can chat with them but then it just basically stays there floating above whatever you're trying to do so it a gets in the way and b just totally breaks with the convention so if i send someone a message then my face might be on their screen forever yeah i think you can like throw them away like a ball you can like use your finger to kind of like i know you can move it flick it it away yeah yeah but that's so weird though why would they go out of the way to make something that's different and the problem is if you reinstall the app as well or anything like that it comes back on and i have to go into the settings and turn it off it's called chat heads and Uh, you you can turn it off and then it goes back to just being like any other android app but it's so annoying that is weird isn't it I'm looking at an article at the moment by Riel M. Okay. From, uh, I think it's from Medium. It's been published on Medium. It's an article about designing for states that have been forgotten about. So, you know, people often design for the best case mm-hmm. and forget about the worst case. So do you mean like people will create a website for users with a nice big Mac screen and forget Sorry. about people with the small laptop screens? No. Oh. So... <laughs> The first one that they talk about is the empty state. Okay, so think about a dashboard in an app with graphs on it, for example, showing how successful it is or whatever. Think about logging into your banking app. Okay, yeah. Okay, and maybe it gives you some stats about where you're spending your money and how much you're spending in different places and some graphs, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, as a designer, the tendency is to go, oh, we're going to have these graphs and it's going to show a breakdown in a pie chart of they've spent, you know, £50 at Halfords and £100 in Sainsbury's and, you know, maybe all these different graphs graphs okay and their mortgage has gone out yesterday and we're going to have all these great breakdowns of the dashboard mm-hmm. but what's often forgotten is well what happens if someone signs in for the first time and there's no transactions yet and there's no data oh right it'll just be blank what, what does that experience look like okay. oh yeah and this is something that we i've experienced firsthand in my app because we often design for example dashboards of users so you know like a list of the users that you can manage yeah okay and we'll tend to mock that up and design it with some actual data in there but what does that look like before the person's added their first user nothing interesting to show yet is there so what we what we actually tend to do in a solution that we've found to this that works quite nicely we will actually go to the effort of designing a different screen pretty much so when it's populated there is a table of users and there's an add button in the corner so you can add a new user and there's a cog next to each user maybe so you can adjust them and there's profile pictures next to each user so it's quite a rich looking user interface okay when it's empty what have you got to show people nothing really apart from an add user button okay Mm -hmm. and it looks absolutely terrible if you've just got an empty table that says no users it just kind of looks rubbish so what we tend to do is replace that with an in, a big panel instead which says you don't have any users yet and maybe a little illustration mm-hmm. it's very easy to get set up with your first user just click here to get started and then the, a big 
bigger button that only appears before they've added the first user. Yeah. And it says, like, add my user. So they can click that, they add the first user, and then all of a sudden they get to see the, the regular view. Yeah. But it's something that easily gets forgotten, I think. I can sort of see why, yeah. But that's such a shame because the very first time you're seeing that page should be the most memorable and the most exciting, not the least. Yeah. Here's a really nice one, actually, from um, Spotify. So if I just quickly show you that, I'll describe it for the listeners. Oh, that looks lovely. That's not going to work well on a podcast, is it? Describe it to me, Andy. So Spotify has a stations page, which I mean, I'm only looking at a screenshot of when there's no data here. So I assume when it's there is data there, that's like a grid of icons or something. But when there's nothing there, there's just a big background image with centered text, which has been nicely designed. Your stations will appear here, create a new station, and there's some help text. Mm-hmm. I suppose help is useful as well, because mm. if that's the first time that you're ever visiting that screen, it would be very useful to have some help, some information about what's going to happen later. If you've not got any data in the app yet, then you're probably going to be a less experienced new user so that is the right time for help yeah so it's it's ideal to show help in those kind of scenarios definitely so the third and fourth thing they talk about is designing for the minimum amount of information and the maximum amount of information so quite often again in a mock-up what designers will do is they'll make it look nice with say an average amount of information Mm -hmm. but thinking about does this still work with just one in it you know thinking about a user dashboard for example what is the most number of users that we can envisage someone having in the system let's try Mm -hmm. and predict the outlier yeah how does that look does it work does it scroll off the end of the screen does it paginate Mm -hmm. what happens if one of your users has got a really really long name or a really really short name yeah that's a good point just the length of each bit of data yeah Uh, the next one that they talk about is loading state so thinking about what that looks like yeah and that's quite important especially depending on how long it takes to load all of that information in Mm -hmm. do you have a spinner is it completely blank does it show sort of like a mock-up of what the content's going to look like when it does finally load the final one they talk about is validation states which I think we've already covered. Well, they say that real-time validation is best. Mm -hmm. So, you know, literally as you're filling the form field in, it would tell you as you go to the next field if the previous one's wrong, which I think is the ideal timing. So some forms, and I think this is more due to the way that they're technically built as opposed to what's best for the user, some forms will wait till you actually submit them and then go, actually, hold on. All of these fields were all wrong. All of these were all wrong. Yeah. It's much nicer to know straight away, isn't it? In context, you've literally just written your name in, you go to the next one, and it should tell you there and then actually you should have put three letters in this last name yeah (laughs) sorry jane who yeah three two one bad Bad usability nightmares go on then Okay, so I was staying in a hotel not very long ago, and uh, a source of fascination for me <laughs> is TV systems in hotels. Right, okay. I should also mention, maybe should I mention this? I don't know, I'm going to anyway. Oh, God. In this particular hotel, I was also kept awake for two hours by someone in the room next door having a... Oh, let's not talk about this. Just talk. Time. Just talk about the TV, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I want to know. You can tell I'm staying in the classiest establishments. <laughs> Um, so I turned the TV on uh, and this was in the Park Plaza Hotel in London. Sounds posh. Yeah, it, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just normal for me. <laughs> right, but the TV. Tell us about the TV. Okay, so it was a Samsung TV and I turned it on and I was immediately presented with like an icon interface as a lot of modern TVs do. Smart TVs, you have a kind of interface. Okay, mm-hmm. but this one was specifically customised for the hotel. So it got the hotel's logo at the top and it said, welcome Andrew Waite and it got my room number and the time and, and things like that on there to start with as a, as a bit of information. Right, fine. Okay. And below that was a grid of icons. So it had explore the hotel. So you presume you could click through to that and find out about what 
time to check out and the pool and things like that. Yeah. Okay. okay, so it got Explore the City, which I assume is like guides about London. Right. You can do. Internet, which I assume some kind of internet access on the TV. What, using the remote control? Probably should have had a go at that, shouldn't I? Because I bet that would have been a terrible user experience. That would have been awful. Yeah. Using the remote control to navigate through the internet. Yeah. Might have been amazing, actually. I don't know. Yeah, I bet it would be terrible. Could you see like a mouse pointer on the screen? Yeah, so it did have like the the remote control acted like a as a pointer. So Oh what that you can move? Yeah. Oh that is posh. I thought mm. I thought that you just have to use like the up, down, left and right. Well, I mean you could do that as well. Well, why would you uh, in the it? interface that I tried. But okay. yeah. Yeah, so where are we? There's internet, there's news and media, which I did go into. It's like apps basically, so like BBC News app, Netflix, things like that. So that's quite quite cool. Okay. For TV. That's quite good. Games. Didn't go into that, but I assume that's like little T V games. Uh, what's can... T V games? Snake? Well, yeah, things like that. Little time passing. Oh, you definitely should have gone to I know that. I should have had a look, shouldn't I? Could have been Call of Duty on there. Well, I was preoccupied with trying to do something else, which I'll tell you in a second. Alright, okay. That sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? I didn't mean it like that. Turning the volume up so that you don't have to listen to next door. (laughs) Yeah. So the yeah, there's also connect with us, which is like a chat thing. I see that maybe contact reception, view my bill, and help. Okay, so that's the grid of icons. Eight things. Right. Explore the hotel. Explore the city. Internet. News and media. Games. Connect with us. View my bill and help. Okay. And then the other, only other thing on screen is which is actually quite big is like a like a welcome video is playing. So like a welcome to Park Plaza and like a show reel type type Fine. video. Okay. okay. So I was looking at this, all this information, this wealth of user interface. Yeah, okay. this actually does sound quite good because I've seen right. in hotels maybe not as plush as that to be honest and it's always a bit of a nightmare to get the TV working because it'll be some TV I don't know how to use the remote doesn't work the way that I expect it to, to work the channels won't be programmed to the right numbers oh yes yeah and so I'm not used to sort of broadcast TV anyway I'll just be there looking for the Netflix which this does sound like it has Netflix which is good I, yeah I didn't try it but it, it has it but I assume you'd have to log into your own Netflix otherwise it wouldn't know your progress on TV programs I guess you must uh, yeah I don't know I, d- I didn't try it I, there's so many things that I should have tried with this because it would have been interesting from a, a UX point of view yeah so what did you but do I was only there for one night anyway so the reason I bring this up is my aim at the time was simply to watch normal in inverted commas broadcast TV right okay so like BBC One it was late I just wanted to just stick the TV on for a few minutes and just sort of fall asleep to the background noise yeah basically. you didn't want to have, have to type in your email address and password to get into <laughs> exactly. Netflix I suppose okay but where did I go where do I go for that okay do you want me to read the options out again oh was there no None of them were broadcast TV. No. So we've got explore the hotel, explore the city, internet, news and media, games, connect with us, view my bill and help. Oh, right, and I'm okay. looking at this interface, trying to media. work out. TV I try- must be under media. I did try that, but it was just a grid of icons for apps. That's all it was. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, it took me quite a while of exploring around right. these different interfaces and menus before I realised that the only way to access this was to press a button on the remote control that said TV. Oh, so it's not any of those options? Yes. None of the options on screen. But there was a TV button on your remote. There was a, yeah, not the most prominent either. I suppose you could have looked at the remote first because you did have to pick up the remote to turn it on, I suppose. Yes, but if I get a screen interface, I don't expect to have to go and look for a physical button. I expect all the options are going to be laid out in front of me. Yeah, you've got a screen of options, but actually it's another option. Yeah, it's another else. option. Yeah, it's actually quite weird as well because when I actually finally worked this out and pressed the TV button, yeah, it was the Sky interface that I got. Oh, Sky TV, okay. Yeah, which I've never had in a hotel before. I don't know how that works. Sky's got the best 
interface, I think. Probably. No, actually, no, I disagree. What do you think is better than Sky? I think U-View is better than Sky. Uh, Slightly. Why? I think they've managed to make it even simpler to use. The good thing about Sky, I think it is quite simple. So. It is. Sky is this totally, don't get me wrong, I would say Sky is 98% as good as U-View. I think they're both very close in usability. Compa- contrast that to something like Virgin Media or Freeview. Uh, what's it, is it called Freeview? Freeview Play? They're mm-hmm. awful. They're awful. And most TV makes built-in channel guides and things just awful. Mm-hmm. But U-View is really, really slick. There's not there's not as many options as with Sky. Maybe that's one of the reasons it's better. For example, on, maybe Sky has started doing this now, but on U-View, to watch your recorded programmes, you get a grid of screenshots of the programmes. Oh, that's quite good. Because on Sky, at least when I had it, which was like over a year ago, you could record or request channels because sometimes it would like download it to the box as if it's as if it's Netflix or something like that. Okay. Um, but it would have it as a, list, a text list. Yeah, no, this is like which a is of... kind of good because you could search through it. You know, you could search like, but it would be you searching using your remote control. So yes. using the number pad, kind of like an old phone. Remember how you used to text on an old phone? Yeah, 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 yeah. You had to press each number multiple times. You well, view has a similar thing. In fact, one of the, the search is one of the best things about it because the search on UView is across all the content. So if you were, for example, looking for Death in Paradise, yeah, you would go to the search, which is a one-button press to search. Yeah, you do have to use the number pad, unfortunately, to type D E A or whatever. Yeah, but then it would probably get Death in Paradise, and it would sh- tell you, well, it's on next Thursday at nine PM on BBC One. It's on BBC iPlayer, and you can watch this one right now. Or there's some old episodes on Netflix. Or there's oh. this. Or there's this one recorded in your library and so you you literally type something and then you get no matter where it is in your in in your universe of content you can access it that is good so the sky plus box that i had didn't work like that you had to go into each section and it would have like broadcast tv right now it would have recorded stuff that you have recorded at some point and then it would have stuff that you could get but those were three separate pretty sure this is right anyway but if somebody's listening to this and i've got it wrong send us a tweet you'd have to go into that section and then search and it would sort of filter your options so yeah you, there is no overall search the only thing that i found that i don't like about UView is when you are watching a channel you know the it used to be called like the now and next banner do you know what i mean so when you press select when you're on, on sky when as you're watching something it brings up a banner which yeah. tells you what's on the current channel now and next and maybe <laughs> another channel as well like a mini version of the guide just about where yeah yeah, yeah so you can screen. carry on still watching your program yes it only takes up like yes a, i don't know 10 of the screen or something so on sky i I believe if you get that up and then press up it will go to the next channel up so if you're watching bbc one it will go to bbc two yeah and then to itv and then to channel four yeah okay but that is inverted on uview whoa and the reason they've done this i know why they've done this is if you go to the guide the channel guide yeah it's listed bbc one then bbc two downwards so you press oh, downwards of course to get to the next channel oh well that makes up. more sense so actually it's consistent in a way yeah but it gets me every time. It gets me every time I press up to go. I wonder what's. I'm watching BBC One. And I wonder what's on BBC Two. And I don't want to go into the full guide. I just want to use the little search and scan banner, whatever it's called. Yeah. And I press up, up, and then it goes to like free view information channel 100 instead of. But if you were on the guide, you'd have to press down, down. Yeah. So. Down. I like that it's consistent. It's good. Mm. I think they've thought about it, but it's not what I pick. So yeah. Anyway, that was my in a roundabout way my usability nightmare of not being able to use just watch normal TV on a bedroom. TV in a hotel. You solved it pretty easily though. I'm not sure if I can allow you to have this as a nightmare. What? It took me, I'm not joking, I was sat there for a good 60 seconds trying to figure out how to put if you if I if I 60 seconds 
seconds. Genuinely. I don't know if it's because I'm into tech that I overthought it and maybe other people would just go, oh, it's the TV button. But I like to put myself in the shoes of my parents who, you know, a hotel isn't someone where you can necessarily qualify the technical ability of the user. You're going to get all sorts of people staying yeah, there. Yeah, true. You're going to, it's going to really frustrate someone who doesn't know. But still, the nightmare that, scenario that you had is that you couldn't get TV for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> If that's as bad as it gets, I think civilization's doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, first world problems. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, that is the end of the podcast. If you've seen or used something unusable recently, we want to hear about it. You can email us at podcast at com, and we are on Twitter at unusablepodcast. If you've enjoyed this, there's plenty more. The last episode we talked about design crimes examples from 2018 and on YouTube there's a video of us talking about confirm shaming and we've also got a video of some annoying buttons and also desktop browser notifications. And why they suck. Actually, we had a little comment about that by... Heather Coles who says Pinterest asks me to turn on desktop notifications constantly and I question if that has ever been something anyone should or would ever want to do do they know what people use their website for are they familiar with their own basic function ooh that's interesting what is Pinterest for so Pinterest is kind of for for browsing like ideas isn't it I mean that's what I use it for yeah so posting pictures of things like ideas of how you can decorate your living room or something like that Mm. but I certainly don't want notifications from it no I think that would just be too annoying. I'll check it when I want to check it. I agree. Anyway, music is by Gold5472. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get a notification about the next one. And... <laughs> what? Just it means that people need to accept browser notifications in their <laughs> podcast app. <laughs> Here's a rant about notifications. But subscribe to us so you get a notification. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.